Welcome to Steered's Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 193, Norse Cosmology with Moya McTeer. Moya was such a delight to have on, and I want to talk to her over cocktails every single day. I was so excited when she emailed us, and just the words folklorist and astrophysicist in the same email made me want to be her best friend. And it absolutely lived up to the hype. We talk about Norse cosmology and map it onto our own solar system. So you'll learn a little bit about about Norse mythology. You'll learn a little bit about space. You'll hear both of us be like, holy shit, I can't believe that life is possible in those vast wilds. Mm -hmm. And it's just lovely and hopefully a nice little break in your week. Yeah, seriously, Moya told us a couple of facts where I was just like, "That what? No. What? Science? <laughs> no. And Moya has a fantastic podcast that you can subscribe to when you absolutely fall in love with her in this episode. It's called Exolore. It's so good. E-X-O-L-O-R-E. Guess what? It's about space and also lore stuff. Amazing. And do you know what is also amazing, Julia? Is it our new patrons, Amanda? Our new patrons, Grave Noise Press, Dustin, Sweet Servaday, Blue Knight, Krista, Denise, and Austin. Welcome. Thank you. What a good squad of well-named people. Extremely good. You join the ranks of such patrons as our supporting producer level patrons, Philip, Alicia, Deborah, Hannah, Jen, Jessica, Keegan, Landon, Megan Linger, Megan Moon, Molly, Mr. Folk, Neil, Nikki, Phil Fresh, Polly, Sarah, and Skyla. I have a little dance I do whenever you list off the supporting producer level patrons because it's just like there's such a good bounce to it, such a good rhythm. There really is. And then, of course, it would not be an episode of Spirits without thanking our legend-level patrons. Audra, Avonlea, Chelsea, Clara, Donald, Drew, Eden, Francis, Jack Marie, Josie, Lada, Mark, Morgan, Necrofancy, Sarah, and BME Up Scotty. BME Up Scotty always coming in at the clutch at the end there. Thank you all for your support. This is our job, and you make it possible for us to do this every week, and we would not be here without you. So thank you so much. You rock, just like... The rocks in space. Get it? Oh, beautiful. Julia, you're a, a, a person of great taste. Would you please tell us what else you have been reading, listening to, or watching this week? Oh, man. Speaking of rocks in space, Amanda, I just finished Ooh. a fantastic book called The First Sister by Lyndon A. Lewis. And it is like there are meld minding assassin pairs. There is like beautiful subterfuge in like kind of a handmaid's tale way, but also in space and religion. My Two favorite things are combining space and religion together, and it's just delightful and a great, great read. I read in like two days, and it was fantastic. You also showed me the cover on a call we had the other day, and it is a beautiful book. It is so pretty. It is so pretty. I love it so much. Lyndon did a fantastic job. They are excellent. So check that out at your local indie bookstore. And if you want to find out the closest bookstore to you or buy it online, go to spiritspodcast.com slash books, where we have a link to all of the books we've recommended, as well as books by our guests uh, on bookshop.org, which is a fantastic uh, website that's like a co-op for indie bookstores and kind of distributes profits amongst all of them, uh, which is amazing. I forgot the link was just books. And I was like, Oh, there's not more of that. Yes, it's just books. (laughs) Love it. It's just books. Merch is just merch. I I do my best. Great. And speaking of great links to go to, uh, multitude.productions slash digital live is one that you are going to want to check out. 
after we did the Multitude Live Online show, it was so much fun. It was incredible. We've been able to donate $1,300 to the Black Lives Matter Global Network, which is amazing. And we're going to continue to make donations because 25% of all of the sales of our video of that live stream are going to be continued to be donated. So help us raise that total. I want to get to $2,000. I think we can do it. Go to multitude.productions slash digital live to grab a copy of the video replay of our two hour long live stream. There were four segments. All six multitudes were in it. It was incredible. It's a lot of, lot of fun. I think our myth that we made for the spirit segment was delightful. And I want to tell it around a campfire one of these days. Incredible. So thank you to everybody who attended live, who has bought the replay. We really appreciate it. And I look forward to making hopefully many more donations in the future. Yes, please. And I just wanted to address something in last week's episode. We talked a lot about suicide because of the nature and language of the Invisible Man movie. And I used the term committed suicide. A couple of listeners pointed out that this term isn't really used anymore as it stigmatizes mental illness. And we talk a lot about mental health on the show and suicide has impacted both of our lives. So we weren't aware about the move away from that term, but we are now. So moving forward, we're going to do our best to be more conscious of the way that we choose to talk about it. Absolutely. So now we hope that you enjoy Spirits Podcast Episode 193, Norse Cosmology with Moya McTeer. We have on today maybe the best combination of words I've ever heard, which is <laughs> astrophysicist and folklorist Moya McTeer. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me and responding to my like urgent plea to be on your show. <laughs> no, it was delightful. Yeah, the moment we saw your YouTube channel and your podcast, we were like, this person needs to come on the show. Oh, I'm honored. Tell us a little bit about what we are going to be learning today. Yeah, uh, so I'm an astrophysicist and a folklorist, and I like to combine them whenever possible. Um, and it was one of your suggestions, but it was also something that I had been thinking about in the back of my mind for a long time. So I'm glad we meshed on those. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about the various worlds of Norse cosmology myths. Norse cosmogony? Yeah. <laughs> I like I like it. Make new words. Every day we should be yeah. making new words. Exactly. We haven't touched on Norse mythology in a while. So I'm very, very glad that you're here to give us a, a guide through the worlds of Norse mythology. It's a, it's a topic I need to learn more about. It's been really fun. Uh, I think that this month might just be like my Norse slash Iceland month. Because uh, I, I just recently did an interview about the Iceland Penis Museum and like ancient uh, Icelandic magical rituals. It was just okay, tell perfect. us about the Penis Museum <laughs> real quick. We need to know, please. <laughs> Oh, it's it's amazing. It's in Reykjavik and it has 300 different penis specimens and they range from like full penises to just like parts of penis bones. And what they've done is try to gather specimens from all of the land and sea mammals that you can find in Iceland, including humans. Ooh, fun. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I Definitely. hope that was like the, you know, when you're an organ donor and it says so on your driver's license. <laughs> and they're like, well, we do need this one organ. Please and there, thank you. There is an amazing documentary that you can watch, I think, on YouTube about their like quest to get a human specimen. I think it's called The Final Member. <sighs> oh, <It's> my <laughs> God. That is the best title I have ever heard. <laughs> we'll link it in the show notes. That's very good. Great. So, Moya, how did you get into astrophysics and also folklore like how did how did those two kind of combine how did you start studying them I, I'm very curious I followed my stomach 
So I, I went to Harvard, where when you want to study two things at once, you have to write a thesis that sits at the intersection of your two fields. So there's actually a pre-approved list of double majors. Surprise, surprise, astro and folklore was not on that list. Come on. But both of them are two of the smallest departments at the school. So I went to the heads of both departments and I said, you you really can't afford to lose a body. So let me study both of you and we all win. My thesis ended up being a science fiction novel that was set on a planet that I researched. And the plot was based on ethnography work that I did in Hawaii to cover uh, this conflict that was going on where astronomers were trying to build a telescope on top of a sacred mountain. Yeah, um, yeah the 30 meter telescope conflict. Yeah. So that that was what I did. And to get there, um, it was pizza that took me to astronomy, and it was tea and cakes that took me to folklore. It's very, very good. Yeah. What a great, what a great background and a great story. I, man, now I want to go back to college real bad. <laughs> we keep interviewing guests recently where I'm just like, I just, you make me want to go back and like get a graduate degree and stuff like that. Please. I don't mm, have the budget for it. hear about the please. pizza and cakes though? Yes, pizza and cakes. I still get a lot of pizza as a grad student. We have pizza lunch every Tuesday in Ooh, grad school. I like that. But n not as many cakes, which is disappointing. I feel like pizza is more of a um, like casual thing and cake is more mm. celebratory. So I, I, can, I can understand that. Yeah, there's nowhere near as much celebration in grad school as there is in college. Ooh, ooh. Ouch. <laughs> Sometimes you have to bring your own cakes, you know? Yeah. Mm. Sometimes it's just cupcake time. Small celebrations. I love cu cupcake time. There you I'm go. going to make that a regular addition to my schedule. <laughs> Very good. But in terms of inventing the thing that you wish to see in the world, how about that? Ooh. I never knew I wanted to know about the astrophysics of the Norse world, but now I need to. <laughs> so uh, take it away. I am I am your student today. Oh, oh my. Okay. I will try to take this responsibility and, and use it wisely. Um, so first, when you're talking about Norse mythology, uh, including their creation myths, most of what we know comes from the Eddas, the prose and poetic Eddas, uh, which were collections of stories and knowledge that had been passed down from generation to generation orally for a long time, uh, but were officially written down between the 11th and 13th centuries. Uh, but I think both of them were written down by Christians. And so a lot of what you find in the Eddas isn't necessarily like true, authentic Norse myths because they were written in a Christian context for a Christian audience. And so there's some stuff that's definitely been changed or is missing because it just didn't fit with the, the Christian theme. Yeah. As we like to say on the show, lol, it's not pagan, it's fine. The Christianity <laughs> story. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. Mm. Actually, I don't. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, you, you say it more than once and you're like, wait, this is a horrible sentiment and I don't want to put it out into the world. But in context on the show, mm -hmm. that is the joke. <laughs> yes. And it's so it's so catchy. I, I really like the way it sounds. So the Eddas have a lot of really cool information in them. Uh, they talk about these nine different worlds of Norse cosmology. And these worlds are, you know, it's it's... Hard to tell if they actually mean different worlds like parallel universes or planets, which is what I think of as worlds and coming from an astronomy context, uh, but they, they use worlds or realms. And these nine worlds are attached to Yggdrasil, the you know, origin tree, the life tree, uh, the cosmic tree, and they're attached to the branches and the roots of Yggdrasil. Uh, and interestingly, the Eddas don't say anything about how Yggdrasil was created. It just mm. seems to have always been there. 
which is pretty cool. Uh, but they also don't explicitly mention the names of all nine worlds. And so scholars who are trying to learn more about Norse mythology have had to go back and kind of piece together w- based on vague mentions and references that they find in the Eddas and in other texts um, that are more scattered. They've had to piece together what the identities of these different worlds might have been. Uh, and it, so it's changed over time uh, and we have no way of knowing if we're totally correct. <laughs> Gotta love that about folklore. Just be like, yeah, we, we think we know what we're talking about 90% of the time. Like these stories have to come from somewhere. We just don't yeah. ever have the full picture of it. And that's why studying it makes it so interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And you get cool bedtime stories to tell at night. That's always true. Fun stuff. No, but it makes sense to me that someone wouldn't think to write down the like basic obvious facts that you know, contextualize the specific story they were telling um, and and explain like it's as if you start a like reading someone's journal in the middle and they're mm. like, oh, yes, my father, Brian, you know, and like give you a helpful signpost. Like that, that's not how that's not how records work. That's not how people's lives or people think about their lives necessarily while they're in the middle of them. Yeah. No one's saying like, as we all know, the nine realms are and then list them. <laughs> you have to use the context. Yeah. And because it was an oral tradition, uh, as different people are telling these stories and passing on this information, they'll leave out stuff that they don't like. Or I, the way I like to imagine oral storytelling is like if you're just not particularly comfortable telling a part of the story because you haven't practiced it enough, like maybe you won't tell that part of the story when you're visiting a certain town. And so the people in that town just won't know that information and it'll get changed and um, you'll like there's like a, a science word where like you have gaps between pieces of data and you like figure out what the what should bridge the oh, gap. Yeah. Um, mm. It starts with inter something. Interpolate. That's what it is. Ooh, You'll like interpolate that. the data. Look at me bringing in my, <laughs> my science background. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's that's oral storytelling. Uh, and when you get it written down, there's stuff missing. There you go. So I really wanted to avoid a section of this where I was just like listing out the names of the nine worlds, but I feel like I, I like I have to no, do name it. the nine worlds. Someone yeah, has to, please. like we just said, someone in oral history has to say <laughs> all the things so that we know about them. <laughs> yeah. And in a thousand years when people are listening to this episode of Spirits, they'll they'll oh, have Lord. this information. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Hi, Amanda McLaughlin, co-host of Spirits <laughs> in the year 2020. <laughs> this is why we say our names at the beginning of each episode. You never know when That's someone's going to jump true. in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the nine worlds, the most widely known probably is Midgard. I mean, if you've seen the Thor movies from the Marvel Universe, uh, you have likely heard of Midgard and Asgard. So Midgard Red is- Red Loki fan fiction. <laughs> yes, the usual. Yes, right. Um, Midgard being the home of the humans, and that's connected to Asgard by the bridge, the rainbow bridge called Bifrost. And Asgard is the home of the Asir, which is just one of the tribes of gods. I didn't know before I started researching for this episode, so that was really cool. Um, yeah. There's a another group of gods called the Veneer, and they live in Vanaheim. The Veneer are gods of things like wisdom and healing, and they also have the ability to see into the future, um, which is pretty dope. Like, if I had to choose which one I'd want to be, I'd probably choose Veneer. You know, but then you're burdened with the knowledge of what is to come. And, you know, I, I think about how, like, uh, precognition is probably, like, the worst superpower you could have because you can't really change things. And anyway, I could go on. 
just like quick aside, the mm-hmm. way I see that is if if I suddenly had the ability to see the future as mm-hmm. like the only human who could do that, I think that would be really sucky. Yeah. But if I came from a whole group of people who culturally knew how to deal with that burden of knowledge, I think that that would be pretty great. That is a good point. I'm used to like X-Men style where it's like mm-hmm. I am burdened with this gift, but a whole society knowing what the future is going to be is probably really mm-hmm. nice. Yeah prepared for everything i know that's giving me like strong the giver vibes <laughs> and a, a society that has infrastructure around something like that is a, a thing i would read many novels about yeah yeah amanda a while back my cousin texted me and it was like hey i was listening to your ads for spirits because he's a very good cousin and he's like i uh-huh. thought you were doing a ad for vermont and i was like no 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 that was for sun soil because i love sun soil ah. and i love vermont so sun soil is in fact in lovely vermont but they are a company that is down to earth and doing things differently when it comes to CBD. They make CBD oil that is USDA certified organic. They grow the hemp on their farms in Vermont, beautiful, beautiful Vermont, and they never use pesticides, herbicides, or GMOs. They keep it super simple. In fact, most of their CBD products have just two simple ingredients, coconut oil and hemp. And they are surprisingly affordable because they farm their own hemp and they stick to these simple ingredients so they're able to offer high quality CBD at half the price of other brands. I really like, as I've said before on the show, the cinnamon flavored drops that I can put into my tea right before I go to bed. So it just like calms and soothes me because tea and also CBD. And it makes it really easy for me to fall asleep, which is usually a big problem. Yeah, it has genuinely been a huge help for my insomnia. And if this is something that you have been curious about, you can learn more about the company, their dedication to being clean and sustainable, their lab testing, and also what CBD is and how you might be able to use it at sunsoil.com slash spirits, where you'll also get 30% off your first order. Yep, that's sunsoil, S-U-N-S-O-I-L dot com slash spirits for 30% off your first order. Thanks, Sunsoil. Julia, I have never been more grateful to be in therapy. I definitely see it as something like a workout or like a a moment of, you know, having that calming bath in your week where it is just for you. It's a time to focus on yourself and your health and your goals. And I do that and be a better help because it is hard to find a therapist. It's hard to find affordable therapy. And particularly now when we want to reduce unnecessary trips, it's really, really helpful to be able to do therapy from the comfort of my own home. They are a secure counseling service where you can start communicating in under 48 hours with a professional counselor. There are tons of ranges of expertise available. So in the onboarding process, you can write if there are anything specifically you're looking for or therapists who have certain identities or certain training and sensitivities. And it's really awesome to be able to do that. Trust me, there's not like a network of therapists to search for in traditional offline counseling. And it's also much more expensive than an option like BetterHelp. And they even offer financial aid, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. So if you would like to start living a happier life today, you can visit BetterHelp. You can read their testimonials at betterhelp.com slash reviews. And if you visit betterhelp.com slash spirits, that's betterhelp.com slash spirits, you can join over a million people who are taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Absolutely. They're adding new counselors all the time as well. They're recruiting extra ones in all 50 states right now. So go to BetterHelp.com slash spirits for 10% off your first month. BetterHelp.com slash spirits for 10% off your first month. 
And finally, we are sponsored by Third Love. This is a company, Julia, that when I heard about it, I was like, man, I hope these bras are actually comfortable. Uh, Spoiler, uh, listener, they are. They are doing bras differently because they believe that everybody deserves to feel comfortable and confident every day. And if you're wearing a bra, that doesn't mean it should stop you from feeling comfortable and wanting to like race home to take it off as soon as possible. They are designing bras to fit you and your body rather than the other way around. They have over 80 different bra sizes, which is incredible because it's not not just like ABCD cup for a range of like six band sizes. Like who, who does that fit? That doesn't help anybody. And in fact, their fit finder quiz makes sure that you are choosing the one that's right for you. You answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. It's actually very fun. It's it's just a little, a little like quiz about me and my preferences and it's wonderful. Um, and it again, actually takes less than a minute to complete. Yeah, I never thought I would have fun telling a website about the size and shape and, uh, you know, balance of my boobs but here we are they're just like what's your boob situation and then they give you the bra that you need yeah and the best part is they stand behind their products if you don't love it every customer has 60 days to return their bra and third level wash it and then donate it to a person in need and they have a bunch of like fit stylist experts who are dedicated to helping you find the perfect fit for your boobs so if you need to chat or email, those fit stylists are available and returns and exchanges are always free and they're very easy to do, which is awesome. Yeah. So Third Love knows that there is a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they are offering our listeners 15% off your first order. You just have to go to thirdlove.com spirits now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash spirits for 15% off today. Huzzah. And now let's get back to the show. I love it. Uh, so the, the other realms are Muspelheim. Also, if I'm pronouncing these incorrectly, which is highly likely, I apologize. Um, but I'm not, I'm not Icelandic or Swedish or anything. Mm-hmm. I don't have that tongue. That's okay. Uh, Muspelheim is the land of primordial fire and chaos. Uh, It's where demons come from. You have Alfheim, which is the land of the elves. Uh, Svartalfheim, the home of the dwarves. Uh, Jotunheim, the home of the giants. Helheim, the home of the dishonorable dead. Um, The honorable dead are kept in Asgard with uh, Odin and and the the other Asir. Uh, And then there's Niflheim, which is one of the, is the second primordial world. uh, And it's the world of ice and fog. So it's the the polar opposite of Muspelheim. Gotcha. The fire land and the ice land. Got it. Elemental planes. I like it. Exactly. So when I look at these nine worlds, uh, I like to see parallels to the bodies in our solar system. Although it's, it's important to note that these Germanic people didn't have information about the details of the planets. I mean, only five of them are visible with the unaided eye. So... Uh, if you have like really good eyesight, you can see Uranus, uh, but you can't really see Neptune. You definitely can't see Pluto, which isn't a planet, but like we're gonna count it here. Uh, and it's you, in our hearts. It's in yeah. I mean, it's on my body. I have it tattooed. Like it's. It I love Pluto. It counts. So they didn't have knowledge about the details of these planets, um, and I also think it's important to note that even though we call the planets like we name the planets after Roman gods, they definitely didn't always have those names. Like Venus wasn't always called Venus. Mercury wasn't always called Mercury. Um, It wasn't until the International Astronomical Union, the IAU, came together and like officially created the names that astronomers all over the world use for these bodies that we decided to call them these Roman names. I didn't know that was a thing, but now that I do, I'm very happy about it. (laughs) 
It's very yeah. cool. Yeah. I have my own tiny aside, uh, which is I'm reading Cleopatra by Stacey Schiff right now, um, which is a, a wonderful book about the life of Cleopatra. Um, and it takes place uh, largely in the like the last century BCE. And I had not really understood the dynamic between Greece and Rome in mm. that time. And sort of as a kid, you learn about them both as like great old societies. We're done. Um, but at the time, there is a ton of like posturing and uh, and feeling like Rome is like, uh, well, maybe Greece is nicer than us, but like, uh, fuck you guys, like we're better. <laughs> and just learning from her, I think Schiff is just such a wonderful historian of like attitude and sense and feeling um, mm. and like using historical information to tell us, you know, what it is like and what those attitudes are likely um, about. And moreover, you know, like written records are all uh, from someone's point of view. So she does a really great job sort of saying like, well, this is from Plutarch and this was his deal. And like Cicero was just like an angry old guy. And, you know, he liked his nephew this week and then the next week uh, really hated him. And like that tells you what you need to know about what Cicero was like and what his judgments are. So anyway, complete aside. But I I think it is very funny from this point of view of the book that the planets end up being named after Roman gods because at least where I'm at in this book, Rome is just like, uh, uh, fuck you, Greece. Okay, fine. We're better than you. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we would we would have I'm trying to think of what the mnemonic device would be if we had named the planets after Greek gods instead. Ooh. It would be like Hermes, Aphrodite, Earth, because whatever, uh, Aries, like the, the mnemonic device would just be totally different. I think that it's a lot more uh, vowels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that should be like a like a takeaway project that the listeners can do if they <laughs> want to Plus you got a Z in there because of Zeus. That's going to be a hot mess of a mnemonic device. Absolutely. So like I, you know, on kind of the path of what would life be like if we had named the planets after Greek gods instead, uh, I, I w- would love to imagine a world where we had mapped the planets and other like celestial objects onto Norse mythology, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. according to these nine worlds which would be really fun. Um, So to me, like the most obvious is that, well, the most, most obvious is that Midgard is Earth. Mm -hmm. Because like, duh. Um, It always has been. It always will be, you know. Yeah, yeah. This is where the humans are. Unless we find like a secret cache of humans hidden away on on Neptune. Like that's, we are Midgard. You never know though. You never know. You never know. That'd be be so cool. The next most obvious thing, I think, is that Muspelheim should be the sun. Okay. Um, Ooh. That's the fire so one, right? That, yeah, Muspelheim, right. The, the land of, of chaos and fire. Although they do have a, a goddess named Sol or Sunna. The two have been kind of syncretized depending on – because they changed the name over time. Mm. Uh, but they have this goddess who's the personification of the sun, and she has her own – uh, identity going on. There are lots of really cool stories involving soul. And so Muspelheim is in no way associated with the sun mm-hmm. in Norse mythology, but that's this is just what I'm doing. Sure. Um, so the Eddas say that Muspel was this like really dense, unapproachable realm of fire, and it was one of the first worlds to exist, and the other one being Niflheim. And the all of the other stuff, all of the life that we know of kind of sprung up from the realm in between the two where there was this space where it was it wasn't too hot and it wasn't too cold it was just Ooh. right and this like pri- primordial ooze happened between Niflheim and Muspelheim um and and this to me sh- demonstrates that the Norse people really understood that fire doesn't just destroy it also creates life yeah and the sun is the source of all life here on earth um so to me Muspelheim was just like 
Definitely the sun. Love it. I love this theory. Go for it. <laughs> awesome. So, some of my mapping like isn't isn't quite so deep. Um, <laughs> and Listen, this... you're our guest. You get to decide the things that you okay. tell us. Oh, I'm here for it. Great. I love that. So the next one is Asgard, which I think should be Mars. Asgard and Midgard are really close to each other. They're connected by this bridge. There is no magical bridge that connects Earth to Mars. Unfortunately. I'm, I'm really sorry to tell you. Uh, but we we have sent a lot of robots to Mars, and so it is uh, very easy to get there. Um, and I, I feel like, based on the descriptions that I've read of Asgard, it seems very Earth-like. At least when you look at Asgard in in the way it's been depicted in the media, like it's not this land of ice, it's not this land of fog, like it looks like Earth. And Mars, a billion years ago or two billion years ago, probably was much more like Earth than any of the other bodies in the solar system. It's about Earth-sized, it's made up of similar stuff. Uh, the only, the, I guess the biggest thing that makes it different is that it doesn't have this iron and nickel core that creates this really strong magnetic field. Mm -hmm. And that meant that Mars lost its atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, so the sun is constantly sending off this wind of charged particles that can strip away gas from planets. It can strip away atmospheres. And Mars, because it didn't have that protective magnetic field, lost its atmosphere. So now it doesn't look anything like Earth. But I feel like, especially since myths talk about things that happened long ago, we can imagine that Mars should be Asgard because it was kind of similar to our planet. Did that make sense? Yes, absolutely. That's okay. very, very cool. Yeah. All right. No, it totally does. And I, I think you know, lay people like myself often think of Mars as like a post-Earth, like when when an atmosphere it used to have dissolves, mm. kind of what happens to a planet. Mm -hmm. And similarly, I feel like we are often told that like the lands of gods are what humans could get to or could aspire to, or it's, you know, humanity like accelerated and uh, more virtuous. So it makes total sense to me that that would be the pairing. Oh, yeah, that reminds me of one of the Mayan creation stories where they made humans and they're like, oh, wait, these are better than us. Hold on. And they had to re remake them all over again. <laughs> So I can <laughs> yeah. definitely see that. I love stories of gods making mistakes and then trying to backpedal and just yes. like not doing it very well. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And let's go to the land of the dwarves, the home of the dwarves, uh, Svartalfheim. Uh, it's also sometimes called Nidavellir. Okay. Nidavellir. Um, so it's the, the home of the dwarves. And I think that it should be Mercury. Not just because it's the smallest planet, mm -hmm. but because the dwarves are masters of craft and smithing. And so they need to be close to the fire of the sun to actually, uh, you know, power their forges so that they can create things like Thor's hammer um, and, and other cool stuff that I'm sure they created. <laughs> yeah. Lots of stuff, not just gauntlets. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Jotunheim, the realm of the giants, uh, is Jupiter. Because it's the Shit biggest planet. planet. The big boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the big boy. Um, more than a thousand Earths can fit inside Jupiter. In fact, if you took all of the planets in the solar system and you bunched them together, they could all fit inside Jupiter. That is very cool. Jupiter's so yeah, big. Wild. I can't even like comprehend that. Do you remember in school, Julia, when we did like an uh, astronomy presentation on like in our on our soccer field and we had people like run all the way out to where Pluto would be um, and saw the relative distance of all the planets? Now I do. Uh, that was amazing. But it's even wilder when size is involved. And I yes. feel like, yes, distance is something, but the relative size of the planets is a thing that like no diorama I've ever seen has managed to capture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Uh, just, just like another scale comparison, uh, all of the planets can also fit in between Earth and the moon. Whoa, what? what? Yeah. No way. Yeah. What? How is that, <laughs> how is that possible? Wait, I need to look up the size of the moon what? because I just think of, I just think of him as like a close little boy hanging out yeah. right there. So the, the moon, moon is size. about a quarter the size of Earth and it's 250,000 miles away. Wow. How did we put a person I mean, on there? What? <laughs> That's so far. That's so far away. I know. I thought the moon was like the Hamptons, and it turns out it's like in in Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Wild. That's wild. Oh my god. Um. Really, like if if all of these these worlds are on this tree, really makes you think about how big that tree must be. That's a big tree. A big fucking tree. That's very true. I can't I'm think about space for might- too long because it all just starts like <laughs> making me feel really small and insignificant. But I love it. <laughs> I imagine it might get a little tiring for you to explain like very basic parts of your field of study to people, and all of us are like, "What the fuck?" No, but the, I that's live how for I feel. This. Oh, good. oh, good. This is my favorite thing. Um, oh, if, in fact, I I feel like I'm not doing my job if I don't blow people's minds when I talk about space. You blew our minds today, so that's oh. absolutely yeah. something. You're awesome. good. You can take the rest of the day off. Yes. <laughs> Alfheim, uh, the land of the elves, I think of. Uh, so the elves are these beings closely associated with nature and and like beautiful healing nature things. Uh, and so I think that they would probably, Alfheim would probably map onto Saturn. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because Saturn's very pretty and has has the ranks, but also because it's named after uh, the Roman god of like forests and agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so naturey stuff yeah. is associated with the elves. I love um, it. Yeah, checks out. Niflheim is Pluto. Uh, so Niflheim is the the home of this of uh, uh, the land of ice and fog. Mm-hmm. This super cold place, the other, the polar opposite to Muspelheim. There we go. Uh, and so it's the polar opposite to the sun because it's it's kind of the edge of the solar system. So although far away. The solar system has no edge. It just kind of fizzles out into nothingness. But if it did have an edge, the Pluto might be it. It's just very, very cold there. It's so dark. Uh, sometimes Pluto's very thin atmosphere totally freezes and then falls to the ground as snow. That's how cold what? it is. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> yes. Oh um, my word. It is like the worst form of planetary dandruff. It's like your entire <laughs> scalp decided to freeze and fall instead of just little parts. I was picturing yeah. something a little more beautiful, but okay. Dandruff. <laughs> sure. It's so extreme. <laughs> I can't imagine that. It is extreme. And it could have been a gassy planet. Uh, so all of the gas giants from Jupiter out to Neptune, they have these rocky cores and then these big, they're just super big atmospheres. But Pluto's atmosphere froze. <laughs> and so it's Whoa. this like rocky core. Uh, and then about 30% of it is just ice. And then it has this thin atmosphere that occasionally also becomes ice. That's amazing. Very cool. Yeah, so that's that's Niflheim, uh, very appropriately, the land of ice and fog. Vanaheim, the the home of the veneer, is Venus. I just kind of like shoehorned that in. Mm. Like I don't have a great reason for it. Like I feel like it should be close to Asgard and uh, Midgard, so I made it made it Venus. Yeah, no, that makes sense because yeah. it's it's kind of bordering Midgard, which I imagine both mm-hmm. godly realms would be and i mean like i'm assuming these are like beautiful gods who also see the future so venus feels appropriate given the naming convention of venus being the goddess of love i like that yeah Yeah, i'm into it 
Although I, Venus has such a dense atmosphere mm-hmm. that you can't really see through it. Uh, and so I feel like Ooh. this kind of is at odds with their ability to like see through the future. Although maybe not because like time is this like thick, dense fog that like we humans can't see through, but maybe the veneer can. So that was what I was they're the say. only people who yeah. could live on Venus. I love it. Yes. And if we look at it from a maybe evolutionary perspective, perhaps because their atmosphere is so mm-hmm. dense and opaque, they developed these extra uh, extraordinary skills to do so. It's yes. very cool. Let's build it out. Build that world building. <laughs> Go us. <laughs> um, and then Helheim, the home of the dishonorable dead, to me is the Oort Cloud. Uh, so the Oort Cloud is this giant uh, diffuse cloud of asteroids and other space rocks. It's outside of Pluto and it extends out to, oh, I don't know how many miles, um, but I'm going to tell you it in astronomical units or au and remember that one au is the distance from earth to the sun that's a lot okay or cloud goes out to like 2000 au whoa yeah it's it's really far um and there are a lot of rocks there and every once in a while those rocks will get disturbed from their orbits around the sun and they'll fly into the inner solar system and they'll actually collide with mars and venus uh earth Earth's atmosphere and magnetic field kind of protect us Mm -hmm. from the worst of it. Um, But yeah, they definitely collide with planets in the inner solar system. And I think that this is a good place for Helheim because uh, in the story of Ragnarok, which is uh, the end of the world in Norse mythology, although it's just like end of the world probably isn't the best way to describe it because... It's mo- it's more of like a mass extinction event. Like there is like something after. Yeah. 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 There's and something like, after it. Time is weirdly cyclical in Norse mythology. So like Ragnarok is the end of time as we know it. But then also mm-hmm. after that is the beginning of time as we know it. So it just kind of keeps happening over and over again. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. Um, it's so It's so cool. <laughs> Um, but in the end of our time in Ragnarok, uh, Hel, who is the, the leader of Helheim, Odin's daughter, will lead an army of the dead, the dishonorable dead, and attack the gods. Uh, and because the gods live on Venus and Mars, and because the Oort cloud comets will come and collide with Venus and Mars, that's why it's Helheim. I love it. It's very good. That's very cool. It's very it smart. also makes me think of like uh, asteroids and and space debris falling through Earth's atmosphere um, into Earth. I know they change names as they enter the atmosphere, so I'm not going to embarrass myself mm. and say the wrong one. <laughs> um, but I think of those now as uh, hauntings and Ooh. having the uh, souls or uh, cast off uh, physical matter of the unquiet dead, uh, just reminding us that they are there and uh, striking down upon the Earth. Very good. I love that so much. <laughs> Thank you. It's like, you know, you just get the occasional ghost, which is also uh, some sort of space rock. Fun, fun. Yeah. Um, they do have these these ghostly tails that kind of follow yeah. them as they go around the sun um, because the, the sun is like melting the icy comets and the that stuff has to go somewhere. So it just follows the core as it goes around. Oh, space is so pretty. It's so weird. <laughs> That's much better than ectoplasm as we think of it. Yeah. I, I like that For a lot. sure. <laughs> Uh, yes, those those are the nine worlds of Norse mythology as mapped onto the the worlds in our solar system. I love them; they're so good, incredible. Headcanon accepted. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> just sticking it right right there. Just I want a book about it now. 
Great. I'll get started on that. Thank you. Thank you. We'll promote the shit out of it. Oh, thanks. I'm curious if there is a um, a sort of analog to Idrisil, because when you first started mm. describing it as like the unknown and unknowable origin of all things, you know, that to me is a little bit like the Big Bang or about maybe stuff before the Big Bang that we're not sure about. Mm. Um, but I'm curious if anything comes to mind for you about what an analog for that may be. Yeah, I think there are probably a lot of analogs depending on the scale that you want to consider, like how localized do you want to be? If you want to consider all of time and space as we know it localized to our solar system, uh, like just when the sun formed is when time started, then I would think of Yggdrasil as what astronomers call the interstellar medium or the ism it's the space between stars and even though people say that space is very empty and like it is a vacuum it is very sparse uh, there is a lot of stuff in the space between stars most of it is gas and dust and the stars form from that gas and dust that exists in that nothingness uh, and so i i feel like that's probably a pretty good analog for Yggdrasil. Mm -hmm. If you want to zoom out and think of time and space as we know it as like the entire observable universe, and you think of the Big Bang as the beginning of the world or of, of like time, then you get into some like the realm between physics and philosophy. Like it's very theoretical. Um, we really can't observe the actual Big Bang because at the time of the Big Bang, the universe was so dense and so hot that photons, one, didn't exist. Uh, we had to wait for photons to actually be able to form. Uh, but even after they existed, it took several thousand years for them to be able to escape the dense cloud of the universe because it was too dense and they just kept banging into stuff. Right. Um so we can't see all the way back to the Big Bang, which means we don't know what existed before the Big Bang, which is mm -hmm. kind of, it's like very difficult to imagine. Uh, and I think that's super appropriate because it seems like Yggdrasil has just always been there. And there was, there, it, you can't, in the ways that we think of and in the vocabulary that we have, you can't think of a time or just like concept that existed before Yggdrasil or before the Big Bang. So science just I wish I knew more about it because every time I hear science facts, I'm just like, that is the most interesting thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> and I'm sure if I like understood the building blocks of it, it would make total sense to me. But just no, it, it doesn't no, make total sense at all. Okay, great. <laughs> I, I think if you ever hear someone say that they totally understand science, especially like quantum stuff or, or things at the beginning of the universe, they are either lying or way too full of themselves <laughs> to be believed. I imagine probably the latter a lot of the times. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. But if no one's around to call them on it, what are they going to do? <laughs> it's as philosophical as I imagine theoretical physics and astrophysics What happened before are. time? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on or cover? Uh no, I don't think so. I think that like cosmology myths are super cool. I talked a little bit earlier about what my thesis ended up being, but I had a lot of different ideas for what my thesis in college could have been. And one of them was looking at different cosmology or creation myths from around the world and teasing out areas that were like weirdly accurate. Mm. And there are definitely parts of Norse cosmology that are just like 
weirdly accurate. Um, like the life as we know it springing up from this primordial ooze between Muspelheim and Niflheim, where it was just the right temperature for life to start. Yeah. Astronomers talk about the Goldilocks zone or the habitable zone around stars mm. all the time, where the temperature is just right for liquid water to exist. Um, and so that's just one instance that I can think of off the top of my head where they really got it right, even though they had no way of actually observing other solar systems forming or uh, a star being born or things like that. That is, it's very cool. I, I do love when we talk about mythology on the show and stuff like that, um, the kind of idea that the human experience in a lot of ways is universal. And that's why we see mm. the same myths told over and over across the world, depending on no matter what the culture is. So I, I, I love that idea of like humans understanding stuff enough to get it very close to accurate. That's one of my favorite things. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it reminds me too why, you know, uh, poetry and science are not mutually exclusive. And in fact, they complement each other really well. Um, thank you. And when people <laughs> talk sometimes about, uh, or like when I describe spirits or people are talking about like mythology or religion, they're like, oh, okay, well, do you talk about like true stuff? Like, do you believe it? Do you, you know, uh, are, are you debunking things? And that is to me like such an uninteresting perspective on all of this. And instead understanding ways in which we get at the truth in a sideways way, or we, you know, imagine our way to a real possibility, or we take inspiration from the world around us and expound upon like the, the lived and felt truth of it in a way that is poetic or invented. Like that to me, we're talking about a, a continuum and like different sides of one beautiful, like multifaceted die. Oh. Which I think is a great way, uh, Moya, for you to plug your shows. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah. Um, I host a podcast called ExoLore. It's a portmanteau of exoplanets. Those are planets outside of our solar system and folklore. And on each episode, I invite expert guests to help me imagine what life and culture might be like on a different alien planet each time. We go from imagining the environment to the biology. Uh, so we've imagined like turtle people and squid people. Uh, we had a whole like race of sentient mushrooms yes. that had this like just beautiful socialist society where everyone's needs were met and like no Amazing. one was forced to do anything they didn't want to do to survive. It was it was really nice to <laughs> explore that world. I want to live on that planet. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. We'll always have the mushroom planet in, in imagination. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's that's really just w what I do to keep myself happy right now uh, is For imagine sure. fictional worlds. You also have that wonderful reverse world building on your YouTube channel. Yes, thank I totally forgot. Thank you. Uh, so in the reverse world building series, I take mythical creatures, mythical and legendary creatures. Uh, I look at their different features and characteristics, and I kind of reverse engineer what type of planet characteristics they could have evolved in. Uh, and so it, things like Pikachu, uh, which isn't like mythical <laughs> in the strictest sense but it is for us <laughs> thank you pikachu thank is you. folklore I, at this point come on yeah yes i i figured you would be like-minded on that <laughs> um so like what type of planet would you have to evolve on to like get the ability to store and discharge electricity from your cheeks or like why do they recharge at night instead of during the day because there are electric 
creatures here on Earth. Um, electric eel is is like a very well-known one, but there's a type of hornet that can store electricity in its back, but it charges from UV light from the sun. So like, what what's going on there? There's an electric so cool. hornet in the world? What? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It, it uses electricity. It's almost photosynthetic. Like it still eats to get most of its energy, but it stores electricity to, to do some of its necessary bodily functions that is so cool incredible oh my god so good and you can find links to both of those uh in the show notes of this episode thank you awesome homoya thank you so much for joining us and teaching us and uh helping us to imagine these incredible worlds and possibilities oh thanks so much for having me i've been listening to the show for so long and it's like really nice to hear your voices but have them directed at me (laughs) I'm fangirling right now. Yeah. Listen, same. (laughs) Same as well. And everybody, remember, no matter what planet you find yourself on, just think. Stay creepy. Stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors. At sunsoil.com slash spirits, you will get 30% off your first order. At betterhelp.com slash spirits, you'll get 10% off your first month of secure online counseling. And at thirdlove.com slash spirits, you'll get 15% off your first order. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.